You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with Judicial Watch's weekly update here on social media. Thank you for joining us this week. While the constitutional crisis continues, I will talk about the impeachment attack on the President of the United States and your right to govern yourselves. And of course, Judicial Watch never stops. We're investigating the deep state spy operation that it looks like we uncovered against President Trump's lawyer, family, and journalists. Plus, we've got new information coming out about the South Bend, Indiana. Why is South Bend, Indiana important, you might ask? Well, it's where Mayor Pete Buttigieg is mayor, and uh, you wouldn't believe what the police department's having to go through out there. And on top of that, we've got another scandal that they don't want you to know about, which is the Dem IT scandal, the House Democratic IT scandal affiliated with the Awan brothers. And if you follow us and you follow these issues online, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you'll want to stay tuned because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, but first up, as always, is the coup attack on the President of the United States, which is now in the Senate. The Senate's trial has technically begun, although it, the fireworks really begin next week. Uh, but the House uh, the Pelosi shift coup cabal in the House, after delaying and obstructing justice, obstructing Congress for four weeks, uh, the pressure politically for them to move became uh, too difficult for them to, uh, to deal with, so they finally gave the impeachment articles uh, to the Senate. And you may have seen, this is supposed to be a sad day, uh, and done in all solemnity and everything like that. Or, uh, but instead, you had Nancy Pelosi signing the impeachment articles or the resolutions associated with them uh, with multiple pens like some sort of big bill signing ceremony. Uh, it just shows you the political circus-like nature of this attack on the president. And I think it bears repeating that, that you know, this is a sad day for our constitutional republic. This is another sad week for our constitutional republic. The president did nothing wrong. There's no basis for impeachment. No evidence of misconduct has been presented in these impeachment articles. So it's not even so much that there were, there were no crimes that were committed. There was no misconduct of any type. Ethical, sometimes you can do something unethical I could imagine potentially an impeachable, an impeachable offense that would not be an offense that violates a particular law, but there's no evidence any of this took place. And I want to go over this again because it's important, because the media wants you to forget it. They want you, to, they give you these, uh, they slip you these pills, uh, more or less propaganda-wise, and, and they want you to forget the reality that Ukraine is corrupt. Ukraine interfered in our elections in 2016 on the side of Hillary Clinton and to the detriment of President Trump, then candidate Trump. They were colluding with the Democratic National Committee to do so. Uh, they were colluding with the Obama White House to do so. And so the president, when uh, this massive aid was disclosed or discussed in public in 2016, became concerned why are we sending money to the corrupt Ukrainians? He also wanted to know, as he does on all issues related to foreign aid, what other countries are doing in res with respect to Ukraine. So he's asking questions about Ukrainian corruption in 2016, 
which, by the way, it became clear, included protecting Joe Biden. As Joe Biden famously admitted in that video, he forced the firing of a prosecutor that coincidentally happened to be investigating his company, uh, the son of uh, his son's company, Hunter Biden's company. He was on the board of directors of a Ukrainian company, a gas company. Biden wasn't Ukrainian. He did not have the business acumen to be a board member, and it was clearly payments for improper purposes by a corrupt country, uh, by a corrupt uh, company that was under investigation. And Biden comes along and forces the firing explicitly by threatening to withhold aid. He says it in the meeting. He says it in the video. The president wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't asking about Ukrainian corruption. And there's no evidence that it was for an improper purpose. No evidence. And the charge of obstruction of justice of Congress, so there's no abuse of power. I tell you what, if abuse of power, however ill-defined it is in this impeachment, becomes the new standard, under that standard, President Obama should have been and could have been impeached every week of his presidency. Every week of his presidency, he upended the rule of law every which way, on health care, on immigration, on foreign policy. He could have been impeached on Benghazi. He could have been impeached on IRS. He could have been impeached on Fast and Furious. He could have been impeached on Solyndra. He could have been impeached on Iran. He could have been impeached on Obamacare, where he was rewriting Obamacare, contrary to law, to try to protect it from being overturned. All sorts of abuses of power. Under the Democrats' theory of abuse of power. And the president here is doing his job, asking questions that resulted in a six-week delay in aid going over to Ukraine. As far as I'm concerned, the president should call back the Ukrainians to find out what they are doing on this corruption issue. So that's where we stand. And of course, who's behind all of this? It's the Democratic Party. And of course, obviously, the president's political opponents are going to be making trouble for him. I mean, that's the reality of politics in Washington, D.C. If it was a Democratic president, the Republicans would be trying to make trouble for him. But the question is, is there another, per is there another reason other than just pure politics here? And I think there's corruption in the traditional sense of the word. They're trying to protect Joe Biden from any prosecution for the evident bribery extortion scheme that he seemingly admitted to. You've got all this spygate corruption, this confirmation time and time again. The more we know, the worse it looks for the Obama gang in terms of their illicit spying on candidate Trump and then President Trump. You have the Hillary Clinton email scandal the attendant national security scandal with that, and of course the pay-to-play scandal, it's all tied together. They don't want that to be pursued. So Trump's asking Ukraine about Clinton emails, Biden corruption, general Ukraine corruption in 2016, all of which happens to 
deal with something this establishment doesn't want to do. And for that, he's being punished with an illicit coup. And it's not about President Trump. Obviously it is. But it's also about your right to govern yourselves. Who do you want deciding who should be president of the United States? You, the American voter? Or a kookaball in the House that abuses the powers entrusted to them by you and the Constitution to try to remove a sitting president from, the United, from his position? Who decides? You know, you see this deep state attack on President Trump repeatedly. It's in the news almost every day. Leaks most of which are criminal, about his internal communications or even communications with foreign leaders. And I tell you, my leftist friends, you think that Trump is the only person who's going to be victimized in the long run by this attitude? Oh, no. You see this with Bernie Sanders. I guarantee you, if Bernie Sanders happens to win in November, I don't guarantee anything, but I suspect if Bernie Sanders is, uh, 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 if he happens to win in November, I suspect the deep state will treat him as poorly or abuse him the way they've abused President Trump. You see this with the CNN game with uh, Bernie Sanders this week. The establishment uh, on the left, or the Democratic establishment, seemingly is trying to rig the, uh, the elections to go after Sanders and help Joe Biden. So the deep state has their list, more or less, of acceptable politicians. And if you're on the list of unacceptable politicians, all bets are off. So you left this cackling over the abuse of Donald Trump, I predict it will happen against one of your people, like Bernie Sanders or someone of that ilk, someone who's really far outside the mainstream from establishment thought here in Washington, D.C. So this is a danger to those of you uh, who think of yourselves as liberals, Democrats, because there could be a president who runs afoul of the deep state and he will be undermined in illicit ways. Although to be, to be fair, remember, the deep state ultimately is a tool of the left and they will never go as far as what they've been trying to do with Donald Trump. Put him in jail and remove him in a coup attack. So now the Senate has begun its trial. And uh, as I said earlier, there will be uh, the, the, all, the beginning arguments should happen next week. We still don't know exactly how it's going to work. Uh, but it looks like there is a uh, emerging majority for uh, witnesses. And the question is, how is that going to work? Is it going to work for or against the President of the United States? Is he just going to have to suffer through witnesses that are brought in to attack him? Or will they allow him to bring in witnesses uh, to, for instance, justify his good faith reasons for asking questions about Ukraine. Witnesses like Hunter Biden, 
I suspect that's going to be difficult for him to get a majority to do. Virtually every major issue that pops up will be decided by the majority in the Senate. So when the senators tell you, or the lying liberal media tells you that the senators are jurors, they're not jurors. Look it up in the Constitution. There's nothing that says they're jurors. I mean, there's an oath that's required to take where they're supposed to be fair, but they're not jurors. They're politicians. They're senators. They're operating always as senators. So they are the judge and the jury. And in many ways, the appeals court and Supreme Court, all, all wrapped up in one because the Constitution gives the Senate the right to try the impeachment. The Senate, uh, the president has announced, or it's been, I don't know if it's been announced officially. So it looks like Ken Starr is going to be on the team of the president's defense. Uh, Robert Ray, Robert Ray was the former special counsel. So what had happened in, uh, during the Clinton years, you had Starr pursue uh, the special, he was uh, independent counsel, uh, uh, criminally investigating President uh, Clinton and Hillary Clinton and others, obviously. And then he had the big impeachment report. And then Robert Ray became, uh, then, then after that happened, Starr essentially uh, stepped down and Ray came in and finished it up. So uh, now the president has on his defense team two seasoned individuals in the sense that it's pretty hard to match that experience. You have two top lawyers uh, who were involved in an, an impeachment and or criminal investigation of the president. So that's pretty significant experience to have. And then they also have Pat Cipollone, who is the, or Cipollone, who is the uh, White House counsel. And he's kind of a, uh, an unknown quantity, at least publicly, as to uh, what sort of lawyer he's going to be for the president at the impeachment trial. Uh, and the other big uh, ad is uh, Alan Dershowitz. Now, Alan Dershowitz is a liberal, but he's been uh, forth forthright and on the, uh, really uh, out there publicly defending the president from this abuse. You know, he's tried to be an honest liberal. Yes, there are honest liberals out there, intellectually honest liberals who don't agree with those of you who are conservative on public policy issues but are concerned about what's happening in Washington, D.C. And, and concerned about the rule of law. So, uh, and there are some other attorneys, that I won't belabor the list there, but so they've got an experienced team. So my concern is, uh, are they going to think outside the box? Are they prepared for what I believe will be uh, more scorched earth tactics by the coup cabal? Uh, this uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, he obviously wants a uh, something that's really quick, deals with the arguments, both for and against impeachment, and then kind of gets it out. Well, I obviously, obviously the other side isn't going to want that to happen. And as I suggested, they have some Republicans who will allow them probably to bring in some witnesses. And then, of course, you've got the X factor. What, what do I mean by the X factor? I mean the Kavanaugh approach where they bring in witnesses at the last minute. It doesn't matter about the truth or veracity of the witness or the credibility of the witness. And what they're going to try to do is blow up the process. Already on the Hill, you have leftist activists, the same groups 
that were involved in the Kavanaugh hearings, showing up on, in the Senate, conducting illegal demonstrations, taking over Senate offices. So you're going to have intimidation. And I was at the Kavanaugh hearings. And I wasn't intimidated, but you can bet senators were intimidated by this violence and intimidation, intimidatory tactics. You go to these hearings and they start screaming and yelling. It's extremely disruptive and dangerous because many of them didn't want to go out quietly. They had to be dragged out by the police, endangering the police themselves and people around them. Again, that's another memory hole the media wants you uh, to never look down into which is the abuse, of, the abuse of the Senate, the effort to overturn and overthrow the Senate by trying to uh, intimidate the senators into voting against Kavanaugh. And I fear it's going to happen again. It's already beginning to happen on the Hill. So what do you need to do? You need to call your senators, and you need to support the rule of law in the Senate. 202-225-3121. That's 202-225-3121. Other things that need to be do is uh, need to be done is that I believe the legal team should be thinking outside the box. There should not be a full-blown Senate trial, as you've uh, those of you who've been following me have uh, probably remember. Uh, I don't believe the Senate trial rewards the kookaball for the abuse of the president. So. To a degree, they're still figuring out how to run this program. They should do what courts often do, have preliminary hearings where witnesses can come in and testify. And in this case, the witnesses should focus on the prosecutorial misconduct by Adam Schiff. Whether he should even be an impeachment manager. I've said repeatedly the president should direct his attorneys to seek the removal of Adam Schiff as impeachment manager. Why? Because he's conflicted. Because he's a potential witness, and a significant one at that, given his involvement in the corrupt formation and corrupt pursuit of this coup attack on the president. It's pretty clear he's going to be a witness. And typically, lawyers who are witnesses can't participate in the case as lawyers. There's got to be a penalty. There's got to be accountability. There's got to be due process. None of that took place in the House. And is it going to take place in the Senate? So we'll see what happens next week. But in the meantime, you should be calling your senators. Let them know what you think about the rule of law about giving the president due process. Are they going to give him a right, the right to defend himself? Or are they just going to cave in to Democrat demands that they bring in more harassing witnesses? Well, you know how I think it's going to go. I've been opposed to this whole idea of a trial, a full-blown trial from the get-go. And I hope, I suspect the president will not be removed but they're going to torture him through the process. And that's not right. And we should say no. So Congress is afraid to ask the tough questions about the coup cabal and the deep state conspiracy against the president. But Judicial Watch isn't. 
Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who was a testified against the president in the impeachment sham in the House, is someone we're very interested in. Why? Because we had sources tell us that she told the Ukrainian embassy when she was running, she was still ambassador to Ukraine, she directed her people to monitor the social media accounts of people around President Trump, namely his son, his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and a whole bunch of others. And they were using this um, uh, program called Crowd, uh, Crowd Tangle. And uh, Yanovich, this was happening around the time there was significant pressure being brought to bear on Yanovich. Yanovich, I think her name is. I, I keep on pronouncing her, uh, mispronouncing her name. It's Yovanovich, excuse me. And uh, the problem was you can't monitor American accounts, social media accounts, without violating the law in this regard. And the law here is the Privacy Act. The government just can't start creating files on American citizens willy-nilly. That's not allowed. The Privacy Act governs the creation and the handling of personally identifiable files. So this is the list of alleged targets. Jack Posobiec, who works for OANN, One America News Now, Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, Laura Ingram, who's on Fox, Sean Hannity, Michael McFaul, who's the only non-Trump ally here in the sense that he was Obama's ambassador to Russia. Dan Bongino, Big Dan, is on Fox and has his podcast. Ryan Savidra, who works for uh, Ryan works for the Daily Wire, which is uh, Ben Shapiro's uh, operation. Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer. Sebastian Gorka, former Ob Trump White House official, now radio host, a strong supporter of the president. John Solomon, an independent journalist, well known for exposing the deep state uh, operatives. Lou Dobbs, Fox Business. Pamela Geller, who is a conservative activist. And another investigative reporter often on Fox, Sarah Carter. So these folks were targeted, and uh, quite specifically, they wanted to look at their accounts uh, when the following search terms popped up. Biden, Giuliani, Soros, and Yovanovitch. So why were they asking about what Biden had to do with any of these people? Why were they asking about what Soros had to do with any of these people? Well, Biden, self-explanatory because the concern about the Biden-Ukraine scandal. Soros, why is Soros? Because Soros is jointly funding a, quote, anti-corruption group in Ukraine with the U.S. government, of all things. So your tax dollars partnered with Soros's money. And they were targeting and were involved in, it looks like, going after Trump. Implicated in the leaking of information to target uh, Paul Manafort and people like that. And they're not allowed, and so this is a big deal. I mean, just think, to try to monitor social media accounts for just one individual, that's, that's a lot of work. And so, as I said, there's a specific program that allows them to do it. And um, 
but they needed help because you, you know, our embassy staff in Ukraine is obviously not unlimited in terms of resources, so they asked Washington for help. And so our reporting indicates that the Washington people said, well, what are you doing here? It's illegal. You can't do it. You got to stop it. So A, we're not sure how long it was going on, and B, whether it was stopped. So we filed a Freedom of Information Act request uh, or request about what was happening, and of course, the deep state has stonewalled us. And that's really disturbing, because doesn't it, isn't it amazing we asked for these records back in October, and they, we haven't gotten word one from the State Department about it. Now, Yanovich, Yanovich is seen as a critic of Trump. Her recall by Trump is a major issue in his impeachment. And so what's being alleged here is corruption by a key anti-Trump witness. And the State Department doesn't want to turn over the documents by the way, these are one of these cases where we know they have the documents. We know they're there. We don't have access to them, though. And they're stalling the release of the documents until after the president's impeachment trial is over. And based on public reports, I see that people trying to get documents that seemingly are, are trying to be used to make the president look bad are getting special favors and special access from the State Department. So the deep state, again, continues to try to undermine Trump while opposing efforts to expose the real corruption behind his targeting. Now, Yovanovitch was in the news because this associate of Giuliani had text messages from some a not credible individual that Yovanovitch was somehow under being monitored in, in Ukraine. And it turns out that that's pretty incredible that it would have happened in the sense that it didn't likely happen. So everyone's pretending to be aghast at that, but we've got sources that the ambassador was illicitly monitoring Americans using government resources. Now, she was asked about this uh, during the impeachment, and she seemed to deny it. It was one of these non-denial denials, suggested she didn't really know what was going on, and, um, but of course, they needed to keep track of what was in the media. So, it's up again to Judicial Watch. Is Ambassador Yovanovitch's anti-Trump activism, as alleged, going to be a subject of the Senate impeachment trial? No. It should be, but it won't be, for the reasons I've discussed with you. Fear-based decision-making by the Senate. Frankly, the president doesn't have the support in the Senate to allow him to provide a strong defense for himself. So it's up, so I, I wanna go through this because this is important. The Senate doesn't wanna talk about what Yovanovitch was up to. They don't wanna talk about the leaker the whistleblower, the alleged whistleblower. Just think about this. You had the whistleblower gaining access to a phone call that was classified between the president of the United States and Ukraine. There's a question of whether he should have had access to the contents of that call. Then he's talking about that issue with Schiff or his office. Schiff lies about it. All of, all of this is involving classified information. 
I call him a leaker because none of this is covered by the whistleblower laws that he's alleging to be operating under. In fact, the deep state ICIG had to change the rules to get to get the complaint validated. And a complaint really has never been validated because it's never, he's never found to be a whistleblower. The DOJ needs to be investigating that. I'm not aware of that taking place. That leak investigation as I've laid out for you. Is the Senate going to allow the president to bring in the whistleblower? I doubt it. I doubt it. Although, you know, when you call your senators, maybe you can ask what they think about it. So what is it? What, 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 what happens? Well, it's, once again, it's up to Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch to the rescue again. We filed two lawsuits asking for records about what this whistleblower was up to. He shows up in the Mueller report. Oh, isn't, well, not surprisingly. Assuming this is the same guy. And we want to know what he was doing at the CIA. And then, of course, you had the abuse by Schiff, taking the phone records of Rudy Giuliani and publishing them, which led to the publication of other phone records, like Devin Nunes' phone records, John Solomon's phone records, Victoria Tenzing's phone records, Jay Sekulow's phone records, all sorts of people's phone records, innocent Americans had their confidential personal phone records published. Senate going to talk about that? Well, I told you they should. But again, what do you think is going to happen? Again, ask your senators what you think about that and what, you, what, what they think about that. So Judicial Watch has sued Schiff for information on this phone record grab. So we're asking about Yovanovitch, we're asking about Schiff, we're asking about the leaker, and of course we have the lawsuits on the Biden corruption scandal vis-a-vis -vis both Ukraine and China. So I can count, well, I'm just going to go through my head, one, two, three, four, five, six at least six lawsuits off the top of my head on issues related to the impeachment of President Trump, issues that the House refused to look into and that the Senate's unlikely to look into. So thank God for Judicial Watch. But isn't it outrageous? Isn't it outrageous that we're the ones having to do the heavy lifting here? So uh, along those lines, uh, speaking of congressional corruption, we had an interesting hearing this week in court. You may recall I told you last month that there was a federal court hearing about the Awan Brothers Democratic IT scandal. What is the Democratic IT scandal? It involves Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who had an individual, one of the Awan Brothers, working for him, her, and uh, his family was working for other, uh, he and his family were working across the House for Democrats having access to all sorts of sensitive data. So eventually, um, here, here's the detail. 
Erman Erwan and his family were banned from the House Computer Network in February 2017 after the House's top lawyer, law enforcement officer wrote that Erman was an ongoing and serious risk to the House of Representatives, possibly threatening the integrity of her information systems, and that a server containing evidence had gone missing. The Inspector General said server logs showed unauthorized access and procurement records were falsified. Awam was Schultz's top information technology aide. He had been fired from the other offices, but Schultz kept him on until he was arrested in 2017 trying to board a flight to Pakistan. He was given a plea deal by the Deep State Justice Department and pled guilty to federal bank fraud, but prosecutors found, quote, no evidence that Awan had violated federal law with respect to the House computer systems. The Awan brothers reportedly were not given background checks before being given access to highly sensitive government information, and no explanations have been given as to why. Additionally, if they had been run this background check, they would have found out not only multiple criminal convictions, but $1 million, but a $1 million bankruptcy, a dozen lawsuits, and, all the, and many other red flags. So that's the way that Congress runs its operations. So you know what? When you call your house member and you say, I've got a social security problem, or my kid is having a student loan problem, or I'm not getting my benefit check, or can I get my grandchild or my son into a school, or I've got this complaint I want to share with you, and that material is logged into a computer system, it was all put at risk. Wait, I shouldn't have thrown that down there. <laughs> a little too much drama. So I'll put at risk. So not only was Congress's secure or classified material put at risk potentially, but your privacy was put at risk. And they didn't want to contend with the other issues, so they pled him out to bank fraud. So what did Judicial Watch do? We asked for the documents from the Justice Department. And they were supposed to produce to us these documents in November. But then they told us that they were having, quote, technical difficulties. Well, there were no technical difficulties. That was not true. That was a lie. The Justice Department lied to us, lied essentially to the court. The technical difficulty was the judge who had handled his criminal case was considering a, a sealing request of some type meaning that they, he should be putting records under seal so they wouldn't be accessed to the public and would affect the production. So rather than just be honest with us about that, they pretended there were technical difficulties. So uh, the judge in the case was frustrated and said, you know, you need to explain what's going on and tell me by January 10th. So they filed something on January 10th, and despite the judge's request, that they try to give Judicial Watch some, at least some detail if it was uh, partly going to be under seal. They didn't do any of that. So the judge on Monday of this week called a snap hearing for Wednesday. So we were in court on Wednesday, and uh, I'm in there in the courtroom. I'm there as the client, more or less. I represent Judicial Watch as president of Judicial Watch. I'm honored to do it, uh, but I'm not supposed to cause trouble. I just sit there and watch and listen and and talk to my lawyer, uh, my attorney colleague, when appropriate. And so uh, the government brings in their lawyers, and the judge says, look, I've got this motion under seal. It turns out the judge did file something under seal. 
And the question is how many documents are covered by the seal and whether the Justice Department can produce the records. And uh, so now there are 50,000 plus records that we have yet to get access to that the government's going to get back to the judge on next month. And we still don't know why anything's under seal. The case is over. Why is it under seal? I don't know. And of course, I want to read my quote because I think I said it better in my quote than I'll probably remember it now. The cover-up of the Awan brothers' IT scandal shows the FBI and DOJ's penchant for dishonesty isn't just limited to the FISA abuse. The handling of the Awan brothers' case has long been an issue of concern, and now we're expected to believe some secret investigation prevents the public from knowing the full truth about this scandal. Well, we are skeptical, but we're going to have to wait. And if this, our request, I think, was filed, let me see when our request was filed. Well, our lawsuit was filed in November of 2018. So it looks like the sealing order probably was issued in November of 2019. So if the Justice Department and the FBI had been following the law, we would have had all of the records. Instead, we had no records because they delayed for a year. And I'm sure our request was much earlier than the November 2018 date. Now, I, I go over this to highlight the fact that Judicial Watch has to go to extraordinary lengths to get basic information re requests honored by the government. And you can see why uh, we have to spend so much time and effort and money to do this work. And in this case, they're protecting the corrupt Congress. We can't FOIA Congress because the law, the Freedom of Information Act, doesn't require Congress to respond to document requests. Congress has exempted itself from FOIA. They've also exempted the federal courts from FOIA, which I also think is inappropriate. So we have to think of ways to get information about what's going on in Congress by FOIAing the executive branch. In this case, the Justice Department investigation of that congressional scandal. And it's been a year, it's going to be a year and a half, I guarantee you, before we see one document on it. Isn't that outrageous? So it's not just Washington, it's other places. We've got South Bend, Indiana. Uh, we did a Freedom of Information Act request to South Bend, Indiana. We've been interested in what's been going on out there because of Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's a new figure on the national stage. And so we try to investigate public controversies around political figures to find out what the truth is. Now, uh, Buttigieg has had a crime problem out in South Bend. He's had a problem with the police uh, uh, because, like major, uh, it's not that South Bend is a big city, but uh, like other police departments, there are issues of racism. He fired a black police chief. So a lot of, uh, a lot of issues that uh, Buttigieg has had to deal with. So we had asked for documents about some of those issues, and we got the, back this remarkable description of a diversity workshop 
the South Bend Police Department was making available to its police officers in 2017. And if you want to know why police officers feel put upon, uh, just look at the details about this diversity training that's being made available, which includes a cultural competence rating for personnel. The training material also names various classes of prejudice, including languageism and sizeism. The South Bend Police Department's training materials claims all personnel have a measurable cumulative perceptual index rating, which measure their cultural competence. Listen to this craziness. The CPI theory posits that our behaviors and biases today may well be rooted in our individual measurable CPI rating. Its base assertion is that we all have been exposed to bigotry and biases at various stages of our lives. What and with what levels of intensity those exposures took place is an important variable in our past, current, and future interpersonal interactions. One thing that the CPI theory holds certain is that none of us were born with prejudices and bias. It also posits that all of us have some prejudice or bias and it gets dispelled in some way over time, and it is that, it, that it is that a factor that can facilitate measurable adjustments in our CPI ratings. So this is what the police have to go through. Did you listen to that gobbledygook? You're all biased. The question is how biased you are, and we're going to measure it scientifically. This is the left. This is the, what the left would be doing to each and every one of you on a day-to-day -day basis if they were able to. And public employees, and specifically police departments, are victimized by these types of programs all the time. Major corporations do this too. And at the same time, they're being targeted with this ridiculous program. Police, I mean, crimes in, um, are going up in that city, South Bend. The headline in The Federalist in response to our disclosure. As violent crime surged, Buttigieg administration lectured cops on sizeism. God bless our police departments. God bless our police. I mean, police officers who have to, it's a thankless job to begin with, but they are repeatedly undermined and attacked and burdened by the politicians who run their police departments or have oversight over them. I mean, it's, it's just to do their basic work defending the public safety is almost impossible in this day and age. I'm surprised it happens. It's a miracle it happens. It is a miracle it happens. They had 1,200 violent crimes occur in the city of 102,000 record uh, residents in 2018, including a fourfold increase in aggravated assault. And as the story kind of chun-in-cheek asks or uh, raises the issue, it says, it is unclear what effect, if any, the diversity training sessions had in improving policing in the city. So Buttigieg, uh, we also have another lawsuit again. Uh, so, so you've got that craziness, which we've exposed. We didn't actually have to sue for these records, so that's a remarkable victory. 
Uh, Buttigieg uh, is also, uh, his conduct more specifically is the subject of a Access to Public Records Act lawsuit that we filed uh, because what had happened was Buttigieg had worked with this outside group in South Bend to provide uh, IDs for illegal aliens. And by doing, uh, using a third party, allegedly private third party to do it, they thought they could protect that whole scam from public records requests. So we weren't going to buy into the cover-up. We saw what was going on, so we sued. And so that's, I think we've actually taken discovery there. So we've actually deposed a witness or two in that case in South Bend, Indiana. So Mayor Buttigieg is um, not immune from scrutiny. And you should know that corruption in Washington, D.C., illegal secrecy in Washington, D.C., you think it's just a, you think it's just a D.C. problem. It isn't a D.C. problem. It happens all over the country. And Judicial Watch, where we can, like in South Bend, go into courts across the country to try to force government transparency in an effort to, in the least, educate the American people about what its government's up to. Buttigieg uh, has this diversity craziness he's forcing the police to go through. He was hiding documents about his relationship and his scheme to uh, disguise his uh, public activities to give driver's uh, ID cards to illegal aliens by using a cutout. We are getting documents on that. So Judicial Watch, again, comes to the rescue, doing the basic oversight that our corrupted media refuse to do and that our government obviously doesn't want to do and obstructs us from doing the work that we're trying to do in terms of getting the transparency. So we're only able to do it with your support. And I encourage you to uh, track all of our work on our website at judicialwatch.org. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere. And uh, if you like what we're doing, and if you're not already doing so, support our work directly. So have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.